This morning we're going to be talking about one of one of my favorite psalms. It's a psalm that has ministered to me many, many times over the years, and, and it's one that I read actually just uh, about a week and a half, two weeks ago, that, that just, again, just encouraged me uh, as well. And before, before we get into the specific psalm for today, I did want to share with you just a little, uh, just a, a really short, brief background about the book of Psalms, and, and then in particular, this and excuse me, and then this psalm in particular. Now, if it, the book of Psalms, if you open up your Old Testament, it's roughly about halfway through your Old Testament. And, and the, the book of Psalms, it's a collection of 150 different uh, songs, uh, of poems, uh, of, excuse me, uh, of Hebrew songs, poems, and prayers that are, that are compiled. It's 150 of them. And, and about half of them, almost half of them, were written by. King David. He's the main author of most of the Psalms. Um, there, there's a, a number of other authors. There are some different worship leaders that um, that wrote some of the Psalms. There's some by King Solomon. There's some there by Moses. And but there's also a lot of them that are just anonymous. They're not attributed to anybody in particular. And and as you study and as you read the Psalms, different scholars and theologians have grouped together have grouped different ones together in, into different categories. And, and depending on which theologian and which scholar you're, you're listening to, they've assigned kind of different numbers of groupings and different names. So for instance, like there's, there's a large group of psalms that are, that are called psalms of lament. Um, every, every, um, every scholar, uh, every theologian agrees. Like there, there's, a, there's a large majority, about, about a third of the psalms are categorized as psalms of lament. And they're, they're, these are these psalms of lament. They're prayers of of pain, of confusion, of anger, of grief, of sorrow. And 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 within the, these psalms of lament, there are there are individual psalms of lament, but then there are also corporate psalms of lament as well. It's essentially kind of like laying a, a troubling situation before God and and asking Him to rectify it. Of saying, God, this, this isn't okay. This isn't right. Lord, we need you to act on on our behalf. I need you to act on my behalf. And the reformer Martin Luther, he said this as it relates to the Psalms of Lament. He said, what is the greatest thing in the Psalter but this earnest speaking amid the storm winds of every kind? Where do you find deeper, more sorrowful, more pitiful words of sadness than in the Psalms of Lamentation? There again, you look into the hearts of the saints as into death, yes, as into hell itself. And when they speak of fear, and of hope. They use such words that no painter could so depict for, for of fear or hope, and no Cicero or other order has so portrayed them, and that they speak these words to God and with God, and this, I repeat, is the best thing of all. This gives the words double earnestness and life. And I love, I love that phrasing of, of what Martin Luther was saying about the Psalms, that, that, that they paint just such a, a beautiful picture that when you're a follower of, of Jesus, when, when, you, when you're in a relationship, if you're walking with God, walking this journey of faith, oftentimes it's not pleasant. It's oftentimes very difficult. And, and, and the, the writers of these Psalms of Lament are actually kind of sharing a, a little bit of an insight of, of kind of where they are and what does it look like to truly lay it all out before God and say, God, I, I don't get it. This, is, this isn't right. There's also a group of psalms that are called the royal psalms, poems and prayers and songs meant to be performed 
in the presence of royalty and dignitaries. There are psalms of thanksgiving, again, as individual and as corporate psalms. There, there are wisdom psalms. And then there's some that are just kind of a combination of, of smaller genres. There's the, the songs of ascent. Excuse me, there are others, that ones that just tell history. And this particular psalm that we're going to be talking about this morning is Psalm 42. Psalm 42. And as I mentioned, it's, it's one of my favorite psalms because I truly appreciate it and can identify with the emotion and with the struggle of this particular one. Now, David is generally agreed upon as the author of Psalm 42. And it is, as, as I mentioned before, it's a psalm of lament to express sorrow and grief. And, and just so you know, like if, if maybe you're, if you're new with us or you're unaware, you can actually follow along on our LSE app. We have notes in there. It's got all the scriptures. It's got all the points. You can actually take notes yourself within the app and then email it to yourself so you can have a copy of it as well. But I want to begin in Psalm 42. We're going to go through the entire psalm this morning. It's short. It's only 11 verses. And I want to start with these first two verses. And David writes, he says, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? And, and so in, in verse one, we get, we get this image. So he says, as a deer pants for flowing streams. I, I want to make sure that we're understanding this imagery correctly. That when, you know, because when we, when we think of this, when we read that first one, we, we often kind of get this idea, this very tranquil scene in here that, that you think of this deer, you think of Bambi, and he's beside this just wandering stream, and, and he's gently lapping at the, at the, at the water that, that's there. There's grass, and there's butterflies, and there's clouds, and, and happiness, and, and it's all kind of like cross-stitched on a throw pillow on your grandma's sofa. Like, I mean, we, we've all like kind of seen this. But that's actually not the image of what's being painted here. If you think about it, the writer is not talking about a deer who's just gently lapping at a, at a babbling brook. But think of an animal that's panting. Like if you've ever like run your dog really hard or something like that and, and its tongue is hanging out of its mouth and it's just, <laughs> like it, it, it's just, it's, it's desperate. They're, they're parched. They're in desperate need of something to drink. And you think of like a, a deer or an animal like panting. In a way, it's, it's, not, a, it's not a pretty sight uh, when, you, when you imagine it. it it's like, all right, I, I'm, I'm in this staggering desperation of trying to find something to drink because if I don't find something soon, I'm not going to make it. That's, that's the picture that David is, is painting here. And if you think about it like this idea, like severe dehydration, where if I don't get something to drink soon, I, I'm just, I'm going to, I'm going to expire. And, and severe dehydration, it's, it's horrible. It, you dry mouth, dry skin, your lips get cracked, dizziness, extreme fatigue, hallucinations, sunken eyes, like fainting. Like it, it's to this point, I need something, I need it now. That, that's the picture that, that David is painting here. Not of, not of just some gentle deer drinking from, from the stream, but of desperate searching. Where am I going to get something to drink? In some ways, it reminds me of this one scene from The Force Awakens. Actually, if you can uh, show this. I shot that Gambardia. Oh, there we are. Mm. 
So, like, Finn, he'd been walking through the desert of, of Jakku, and, and he's searching, he's desperate to find something to drink, that even though it tasted terrible, even though he was having to share this trough, there's somebody who's a better Star Wars buff than I am that would be able to tell me, I'm sorry? <laughs> that, that would be able to, t- and, and so he's like, he's so desperate that he's willing to go stick his head in that same trough. There, like that, that's kind of the, the, the scene that's being painted here. It's not this, this gentle snapshot, but it's of, of, of blind desperation. And listen to, to what David says further in verse 3. He says, My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? And again, like just painting this, this picture, this profound powerful picture that the David, he's not referencing, oh man, like I've just had, I've just had a bad day. I've just had this tough moment. No, he, he's saying, he's talking about a darkness that consumes the soul so much that, that he's forgetting to, to even eat, that, that you cry until you have no tears left to cry, that, that, and, and everything around you, all the circumstances around you just seem to compound the darkness that is already there, like his critics, his enemies are mocking him and saying, all right, this God that you've always talked about, this God that you say you believe in, where's he at? Where's he at now? Like his present circumstances are kind of like mocking his faith. His doubt is rewriting his history and almost saying, hey, do you remember back when God was good to you? He's not so much anymore. Like, you know what? That, that really wasn't real. That, that was just the environment you were in. That was just an emotional high that you were in in that moment. That God's, a, God's not real after all. Well, like, where is he now? Where is he now? In verse 4, he continues. He says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and I would lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. And many, many theologians speculate that when David was writing this, he was actually in hiding. He, he was hiding from his own son, Absalom, who, who was seeking to kill him, who wanted to take over his father's throne. And he's, he's in this place of hiding from, from his, his, own, his own child. And he's wishing, saying, I wish I could go back. God, when you seemed near, when, when I could gather together in, in your house and, and I could be around the other people, the other believers, and we would worship you and we would praise you. Like, I, I, I try, I'm trying to remember those days because, because I was refreshed, I was encouraged in those moments. That when he was worshiping and praising God with his people, like it breathed life into him. And he's longing for that experience again. And, and David, detached from his people, alone, in, in this place of, of despair and isolation, he gives us kind of a glimpse of his heart that I think many of us will likely resonate with in verses five, or excuse me, in verse five. And he says to himself, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? But hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Like he, he's asking himself this question that I've asked myself more times than than I care to admit. Like, why am I feeling so down? 
Why am I feeling so depressed? I, I don't want to feel this way, and yet I am. And there's times where I've felt guilty for feeling that way, where I've felt guilty for, for feeling down, for feeling discouraged and depressed. And like, all right, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer after all. I've been walking with God for almost 25 years now. Like, I shouldn't be feeling this way, or at least I shouldn't be feeling this way according to some people. And I, and I want you to know this just as a side note. You've heard me say this before, but depression is not a sin. That was a place for an amen. Depression is not, <laughs> is not a sin. It's not, it's not a sign of a lack of faith, or it's not a sign of a lack of trust in God. It's not a character flaw or a defect. Like if David, a man after God's own heart, struggled with depression... Like, I, I believe God's probably gracious and understanding when I'm dealing with it as well. And, and, and then David goes on to preach to himself in verse 6, where he says, My soul is cast down within me, and therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and from Mount Mazar. And, and I want to highlight one word in verse 6. If you can put it back on the screen. I want to highlight one word from verse 6 for us here, and it's the word, Therefore. Therefore, and, and, and therefore, it's, it's one of my favorite words in, in all of Scripture. And at some point, like, I would love to do a, a sermon series about the great therefores in, in Scripture, the great therefores in, in the Bible. It seems silly, but I really think it would be a great one. But, like, I, I had a Bible professor that he, was, he would always ask the question, what is the therefore, therefore, is what he would always ask. And, and he was saying, all right, anytime you see a therefore, you need to ask, all right, why, why did the author put it there? Why, what is it there for? And, and in, in its most basic sense, the word therefore means for this reason. For this reason. It's kind of a, like a, a nice transition that a writer uses to take us from saying one thing and then explaining what it means and why we should care. Like thinking of the word therefore, it's kind of like this, this magnifying glass where we have like this, this big idea and we're going to zoom in into an important aspect of it. Like, all right, we've discussed this big truth. Now here's why it matters. Here's why this truth matters. And so what is the therefore, therefore? Because prior to this, prior to the therefore that David is writing here, he's just laying out how low and how down and how depressed, how, how his soul is downcast. And he says, all right, therefore, because of that, because of how I'm feeling, because of what I'm experiencing right now. He wants, to, he wants to bring into focus, all right, so what? So because I'm doing this, he says, therefore, I'm going to remember. I'm going to remember. I'm going to remember your goodness. God, I'm going to remember your faithfulness. I'm going to remember how you've been there with me, how, how you've brought me through those times where I didn't think I was going to make it. I'm going to remember these things, those times where I thought I was drowning and you lifted me out. I'm going to remember who you are. I'm going to remember what your character is. That even though I'm in this low state, therefore, because I am, this is what I'm going to do. And then in verse 7, he writes out, Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All of your breakers and your waves have gone over me. And we're going to come back to this in just a few moments, but I, but I want to share something here. That David, he's calling out to God from the depth of despair and suffering. 
He's calling out to God. He's crying out to God someplace deep. Again, painting a clear picture. He's like, imagine like this image of, of waves and breakers just crashing over him. If you've ever like stood in the ocean and you've been maybe like almost waist deep and it had like a wave come and just hit you in the back, like it, it can knock the wind out of you. It can knock you over. And he's saying, all right, like your, your waves and breakers, like they've just, I, I feel like I'm drowning in my own sorrow. I'm drowning underneath it all. And, and, and from this deep pain, he's saying, I'm calling out. From this, from this deep place of agony and despair, I'm calling out to you. This deep pain calls out, and then a deep love answers. That call in verse 8. It says, by day... The Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to God, to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? And as with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? He, he's kind of repeating that, that idea again that he's hurting, and, and this song that, that is coming out of him, it's not a peaceful, pleasant one. But it is filled with faith. What, what David is writing, it, it's not this, this peaceful, beautiful picture, but it is filled with faith. His prayer is addressed to the God of my life. When he asks, all right, why have you forgotten me? He says it to God, my rock. And, and not, all, not all songs of, of praise need to be happy. And I, and I don't know about you, but like, I feel like this psalm just resonates so much with me when I'm in those dark places, when I feel like I'm in those depths of despair. And, and, and I just say, all right, like, why have you forgotten about me? Why, why do I continue to go on mourning like this? Why do those around me, why, why does it feel like they're, they're taunting and, and seeming to get pleasure out of my pain? Like, there, there are some in here that have experienced deep, deep pain. Pain that I can't even imagine. Pain so much that the depth of your soul is crying out. And in the middle of that kind of pain, in the middle of that depth, that deep place, he shares this final verse, verse 11. He repeats himself from what he said earlier. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. It's a repeat of, of verse 5, and, and this is where the psalm ends. The psalm doesn't end with like a resolution. It doesn't end with, a, all right, you know, like this is where I've been, but all right, but I'm not there anymore. God brought me out. No, where this psalm ends, it hasn't been fixed yet. Like, this isn't a, a sitcom where, you know, whatever the, the problem or the issue is, is dealt with and fixed and solved in 30 minutes and, and you just kind of go on. No, what, he, what, what David is doing here is he's, he's pointing his head. He's pointing his heart toward God, towards hope. That even though he's not there yet, he's aligning his sight. He's aligning his vision with, with God, that he knows that the Lord is faithful. He's confident that one day, He's going to be able to praise God again. And I might not be able to praise God right now in this moment. I want to. Like, I know that's probably what I ought to do in this moment. But, but, I, but one day, I'll be able to praise God once again. 
One day his downcast head is going to be lifted up. And until then, he knows that God isn't waiting on him. He knows that God is with him in the middle of it, in the middle of those depths of despair. And, and so I want to share just kind of some, some insights from this psalm that I've been attempting to put into practice in my own life, in my own battles that, that I've been facing, that I've been dealing with. Sometimes I'm successful in this. Sometimes I'm not. But I want to share some things that I pray will be an encouragement for you. When you find yourself in that place that David is, and maybe you're there right now, and if you're not there now, at some point you will be. And so what do we do? How, how do we thrive? How do we, how do we live in those moments where we feel like we are in the depth of despair, like what David is writing in Psalm 42? And so the first thing I want to share with you, and you've heard me say, share this before, is that we just need to be honest with God. Just be honest with God. There's no use in pretending with him. Like he sees all, he knows all. We're not going to pull a fast one over on him. So we may as well be honest with God with what we're struggling with. Like there, there's a rawness in this psalm that is just so refreshing to me. That we don't often hear people referencing and talking this way in, in church and in Christian circles. Where we, we, we kind of like try to put like a, a silver lining on things. And that's not what David is doing here in, in this psalm. And it reminds me, all right, this run is just be real with God. Just be, just be real with him. I, like, for me, I, I, I'm a journaler. And, and so for you, I, you don't have to do what I, what I do. But maybe, like, getting a journal and just crying out to God, all right, where are you? Where have you been? I feel like you've forgotten about me. Just writing out, all right, why am I feeling this way? What's going on externally? What's going on internally? And and like I said, I, I'm a journal. I should probably burn my journals, to be honest, when I'm done with them. Um, <laughs> yeah, you probably shouldn't read my journals. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> but let, letting the deep cry out, like that's what verses one through six in this psalm are all about. It, it's it's sharing this deep suffering of David's soul and crying out to God because God isn't afraid and He's not intimidated by our pain and our struggles and our doubt and our anger. The second thing I would encourage us with is that we should be listening for God in the middle of despair. Listening for God in the middle of despair. In verse 7, it said, when deep calls to deep. In those deep places, those deep, that deep anguish that deep despair, calling, calling out, that deep also answers deep. And, and I want you to know that the, the greatest, most essential, most life-giving doctrine in the Christian faith is that God loves you. God loves you. And his love meets you in the deepest and darkest places, in the deep, deepest and darkest suffering, a darkness of the soul that becomes almost like crippling in a way. And it's in those seasons, those gut-wrenching, heart-wrenching seasons that we walk through, that when, when we've been in pain so long that we've almost forgotten what it feels like to not be in pain, that we've almost forgotten what it feels like to feel right, to feel normal, to feel joy in those moments. 
that we listen for God in the middle of that. I, I, Charles Spurgeon, he's widely considered one of the greatest preachers of all time. This is a, a picture of him. He suffered with depression through most of his career. And, and Psalm 42 was particularly important to him because of this, this battle that he had with depression. And, and I want to share with you something that he wrote and he shared about the deep trials of life. This is Charles Spurgeon. He says, Great deeps of trial bring with them great deeps of promise. For you, much afflicted ones, there are words great and mighty, excuse me, great and mighty, which are not meant for the other saints of easier experience. But you shall drink from deep golden goblets reserved for those giants who can drink only great portions of wormwood. Trials are mighty enlargers of the soul. Yes, feel the loneliness of life. Here's a dreadful deep for you to sail on and a, and a tempestuous deep, much to be feared, for your little boat may easily become wrecked. But don't forget that there is another deep whose remembrance will remove you from the bitterness of your present sorrow. There is a love in heaven toward you which will never grow cold, an immortal and an unchanging love. Like to those that are, that are suffering right now, cry out from that deep place so that you can hear a deep response. Deep calls to deep. I, I know the despair. Like it, it can be so great where you feel like, all right, I can't eat. I feel like I can't even get out of bed. Maybe you're listening or maybe you're watching us online today because you feel like, all right, I couldn't even get out of bed. I couldn't even get out of the house today because it's gotten so bad. Hear this hope for your soul that God loves you. God still loves you. He's present with you in the middle of that despair and that suffering. He sees the darkness. He sees the tears. And he says, hand that darkness over to me because I can take it. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. The word burdened is translated from the Greek word fortizo, and it's a, it's a shipping term related to a ship whose freight has been overloaded, almost capsizing the ship. That, that's kind of like what, what that, that word burdened means. And so if you feel weary and burdened, like an overloaded ship that's ready to, to tip at any moment, Jesus is beckoning, all right, come. Come to me in this moment, and I'll give you rest. And I think one of the reasons that despair can be so, so difficult to break free from is because oftentimes we can be very hesitant, we can be very reluctant to trust anything enough to actually have hope in it. But David reminds us, he says, all right, trust in God, hope in God. And, and so I don't know what you might be wrestling with today, but I do want you to know like today is a new day. And we can put our hope in the one who will never let us down, who loves us all the time. God, David reminds us to put our hope in God. I think the third thing that we can take from this is just a, an encouragement of, of what do we do when we're in the middle of these moments is sometimes we just need to preach to ourselves. And I'll explain to you what I mean by this. Like, the most influential person in your life is you. The most influential person in your life 
is you. You listen to yourself more than you listen to anybody else. Because we're always taking the events that are happening around us and we're interpreting them. And we're creating a narrative and we're creating a story with them about, about who we are and what does this all mean. And we tell ourselves that story. We tell ourselves that narrative. And, and sometimes that voice that we listen to, that voice of ourselves, that story that we're telling can be very dangerous to listen to. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he, he wrote this about spiritual depression. He said, the main trouble in this whole matter of spiritual depression, in a sense, is this, that we allow ourselves ourself to talk to us instead of talking to ourselves. And you, you look at that debate that David is having in, in this psalm, where, where one minute he, he's questioning God and saying, All right, God, God, why have you forgotten about me? And then David, in a way, like he interrupts his own line of thinking in verse 11 where he says, all right, but why are you downcast? Why are you cast down on my soul? And why is there turmoil within me? And he's preaching to himself right here. He says, hope in God. I don't feel it in this moment. But he's reminding himself, hey, hope in God. For I shall again praise him. Even though I don't feel like it in this moment, I will praise him again, my salvation and my God. David stops listening to himself and he starts preaching to himself. He stops listening to himself and he starts encouraging himself. And it's one of the biggest things that we can do when battling and dealing with despair. It's what Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, that we need to stop listening to ourselves and begin preaching to ourselves. And and so maybe when you're feeling like you're in that place where you feel like you're forgotten, that God's forgotten about me and that you're scared, preaching to ourselves, Deuteronomy 31.8, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Those moments where you feel like, all right, I'm all out of hope and there doesn't seem, any, there doesn't seem to be any reason to get up at all. We can preach to ourselves in Revelation 21.4 that he's going to wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. When, when we feel like God has forgotten about us, when there is no hope, Romans 8.38 and 39, for I'm convinced, we need to preach this self to us, to ourselves. I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor the powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That instead of listening to ourselves, all right, I, I feel like God has abandoned me. I feel like God has left me. What if we start speaking and preaching to ourselves of what God actually has to say? Reminding ourselves that God loves us. He died for us. He's not letting us go. That he's given us people. He's given us a church family that cares for us, that we can thrive in. That one day he's going to make all things new. And the last thing I want us to just kind of hold on to, to be an encouragement today, is that sometimes we need to find a sparring partner. Find a sparring partner. I, I've... Josiah, he went out in with Kickstart, but I've been doing Taekwondo for, with Josiah for, for probably about six months now. And it's a ton of fun. Like, I, I really enjoy doing, like, 
Where else do you get to like punch and kick your own son and you don't get thrown in jail for it? You know, I say that kind of in jest. So, but, but, but one, of the, one of the most fun things about doing taekwondo is, is being able to spar with somebody else. Just being able to spar with them. And, and the point of a sparring partner is not for you to beat them up or for them to beat you up. That's not the point. They're your partner. Someone to help you train so that you can get better. Like sometimes you get kicked in the gut or sometimes you get smacked in the face by your sparring partner, but they're doing that in order to help you get better, in order to grow. And there's times where maybe you just don't have it. You don't have that faith to preach to yourself. You don't have it within you to to encourage yourself, to remind yourselves of those things. And we need that sparring partner. We need that person in our life who's trying to help us get better, who's trying to walk alongside us, who's trying to say, hey, you know what? We're in this together. I'm there, I'm there with you, helping you get stronger, helping you discover, all right, what are those weak areas and how do I improve them? That are going to tell you and remind you of those things that, that we need to hear. Like when, when I'm sparring in, in our taekwondo uh, classes, our instructor always tells us after the sparring round to look at your partner and tell them, all right, Hey, like, what did they do that was really good? What did they do that was really effective? But then also point out something that they can improve upon. And saying, all right, you know, when you threw that jab, you really opened yourself up to me giving you a a hook across the head. Or when you leaned forward, you're actually opening yourself up to getting kicked in the face. And so giving you some some feedback, some thoughts of, hey, here's how we can do this. Here's how we can do it better. Like a sparring partner who's willing to, to tell you the truth. To be in the fight with you. To help you get better. For, for some, that might mean taking the step of, of finding a, a counselor or a therapist to talk to. It's what I'm doing. It's what I'm doing. And it took me a long time to get to the point of being okay with that. And in all honesty, I wish I had started it way earlier. I wish I had started that earlier. Because opening up can be difficult. To be real and to be vulnerable with somebody, it's hard. It's hard to do. For some, maybe, maybe there's somebody that, that you have in your life that, that you trust, but you only trust up into a point. Say, all right, I'll, I'll let you get this close to me, but no further. I, I'm not going to let you see all the ugly that's there. I'm, I, I'll, I'll let you get close enough, but not all the way in. And maybe we need to find that relationship. We need to find that somebody where we can take that mask off completely and say, hey, man, this is, this is what's really going on. This is, this is where I really am right now in this moment. Finding that sparring partner when we feel ourselves in those places of despair. Being honest with God. Listening for God in the middle of that despair. Preaching to ourselves and finding a sparring partner. I want to just kind of close with a final thought this morning. And you've likely noticed, I hope I've not gone to the well too many times with this, but you've likely noticed 
that there's a, a thread that runs through a lot of what we've been talking about recently. In the sermons as we've gathered together, we, we did our series on, on deconstructing faith. Last week we were talking about gratitude this morning, talking about this Psalm 42, the Psalm of Lament. Because if I can just be honest, if I can just be transparent with you, I've been going through what John of the Cross labeled a dark night of the soul. Just kind of this wrestling with God, this struggling, this working through despair and disappointment and depression. And, and I'm not sharing this just to be therapeutic for me. But I'm sharing it because I've heard from so many of you, so many within our, our church family, that you're walking through very similar things. Those dark nights of the soul. And sometimes we need to remind ourselves, remind our church family that when we are in those, those places, those, those places in the depths of despair and depression, that we have a God who cares, we have a God who's present, we have, we have a God who's not going to judge us based on our struggles, but walks with us through them, beckoning us to, to unload that burden from our shoulders and hand it to him. And, and my prayer this morning is that that you would be encouraged that you're not alone, that you're not by yourself, that we are in this together. We're in this with God. And so be encouraged to take that next step, to continue moving forward, to not grow weary in doing well. But it's also okay to lament. It's okay to lament. It's okay to have that posture before God. And having other people that are walking that same journey with us. Would you bow your heads and, and let me pray for us today? Lord, we, we love you so much. And God, thank you for being such a great and a wonderful God. Thank you for the way that, that you don't judge us based on our shortcomings and our struggles, Lord. But God, that you love us right in the middle of them. Thank you, Lord, for the way that you move on our behalf. The way that you care for us, that even in those, those times, those moments of lament and despair and depression, God, that you are present. Not just, you're not just present on the mountaintop, God, you are present in the valley as well, and we just want to thank you, God, for that, that we don't walk this alone, but that we are with you, that we are with one another. And God, I pray that for those in the room that are maybe find themselves in that space right now of what David was talking about, where look looking around and saying, God, where, where have you been? Where, where are you right now? Like, I, I, I remember the days when I used to feel joy and I, I used to feel happiness. I remember those days where I used to gather and I, and I could sing psalms of, of praise and, and worship, and now I can't, I can't even barely get out of bed. I can't even barely come to church. I can't even mouth the words any longer. Lord, I pray for those that find themselves in those places. God, that we would listen for you in the middle of those moments. God, that we would remind ourselves of who you are, remind ourselves, God, that you are with us, that we would speak to ourselves, we would stop listening to ourselves and start preaching to ourselves. And Lord, that we would also, God, find that sparring partner, that person who's gonna help us grow, who's gonna help us get better in the process. And Lord, for those that aren't there now, but 
maybe at some point down the road, Lord, you know they're going to be, Lord, that we would hold on to these truths, that we would be able to walk alongside somebody else, that maybe, maybe we're that sparring partner, maybe we're that person that needs to speak those words of life and encouragement to somebody else that we know is down and struggling and in those depths of despair and depression, Lord, that you would give us eyes to see. God, who can we be a partner for? Who can we encourage and lift up and, and fight for and on their behalf? God, help us to live that out. Help us to be the church that does that for one another, that nobody would struggle alone, but God, that we would do it together, arm in arm, tandem, walking with you. Lord, bless my church family this morning. In Jesus' name.